Uh, yeah, it's so good to be with you guys, and I'm so excited about um, this sermon series that we're currently in, the, the Power of Praise, and I'm just so excited because I just am so excited for what it could do for our culture of worship and praise here in Christchurch. You know, we want to be a church that is, is bold in our praise, but, you know, also extravagant, but also having these moments of, of deep, deep encounter. So it's my prayer that, that we go to that place over the next few weeks, and I hope it's uh, your prayer too. But hopefully, um, I've got some slides that will come up on the screen. Great. Awesome. Um, so there's two passages that were read out for us tonight, one in Psalm 140 um, and then one in Philippians 4. We're going to root ourselves in, in Philippians 4 a little bit more um, tonight. And what we're going to talk about is becoming a people of his presence. That's what I've kind of titled um, our, our thoughts tonight. Where is the focus of where we're going um, is becoming a people of his presence. There's this incredible thing that happens in worship, and maybe you've experienced it tonight, that whether it's in our corporate lives of praise and worship, or whether it's in our individual lives when we go away and we're the scattered church, that as we choose to enthrone God, and as we choose to give him all the glory, that there's an incredible thing that happens where actually he comes close as well, and we experience his presence. So how do we become a people of his presence? What are some keys in this passage that we can take away that help us to become people that are more tuned into his presence, more aware of his presence in our everyday life, but also in the context of our corporate praise and worship? Does that sound okay? Yes, good. We're a little bit more enthusiastic. That's awesome. What I want to kind of say at the outset of this, though, as well, is that there's not some kind of step-by-step formula to this as well, okay? What I want to give us is some helpful points, but it's not like, you know, if I do A plus B plus C, then I will have more of the presence of God in my life, okay? Because there's not some thing that we can do to kind of drum up more of the presence of God, okay? He's already here. He's already moving. He's already working. We read in Scripture that where two or three are gathered, so he will be there. We read that he is enthroned or dwells in the praises of his people. So there's nothing that really we can do to kind of drum that up. But I was speaking on this a few weeks ago in the summer, and the reality of it is, that yes, God is present, but actually for you and I, we have a choice whether or not we engage with that presence of God more, or we can actually choose to grieve the Holy Spirit or quench his presence. So what are some things that we can take away from this passage? So if you're a visual person, these points are going to come up on screen. Maybe you want to take a picture. Maybe you want to take some notes. It helps me sometimes to kind of know where we're going. So we're going to root ourselves in Philippians for the context of this passage. If you're here this morning, you would have heard Richard talk a little bit about this. But the context of this passage and the context of the wider letter to the book of Philip or the church of Philippi. Huh, sorry, that was a mouthful. There we go. Um, the context of this letter, the context of this book, is that when Paul wrote it, he was in prison. So you could say that his even words or this letter to the church was an expression of worship because he's choosing to bless a church, right? I don't know about you, but if I was taken away here tonight and put in prison, the last thing I would think of doing would be to email a church and encourage them. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want to do that. So Paul's letter is a very very expression of worship. Four points that help us tonight in becoming a people of his presence. Number one, we praise him even when we don't feel it. We praise him even when we don't feel it. 
Number two, we keep our eyes open for he is near and he's always moving. Number three, we receive his peace. And number four, we call out the good. We move our posture from one of lack to one of abundance. And on that point, I've kind of sneaked in verse eight, okay? It wasn't in our reading, but I had to put it in, okay? Because it's incredible. So we praise him when you don't feel it. We keep our eyes open for he is near. We receive his peace. We call out the good. Ready? Ready? Come on. Raise up a group of Pentecostals in you yet. Praise him even when we don't feel it. Praise him even when we don't feel it. I don't know where that lands with you tonight. You know, we sing that song loads in church. You know, even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. And if you're anything like me, you know, I'm loving that on a Sunday night. I'm like, yes, God, I'm right in that place. It's such an emotive line, and that's okay, and that's good. But then if you're anything like me, Monday morning rolls around and stuff happens in our lives, and you're like, oh my goodness, God, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can praise you even when I'm not feeling it. And I spoke about this a few weeks ago, but we sometimes fall into this trap as a church or trap as Christians, don't we? Where it's like, well, I only give God praise when I feel something, right? I'll only give God praise when I feel something. And I don't want to trivialize what's going on um, in this room. I know that there's people that are struggling. I know there's people that are going through some really deep stuff. But how then In verse four, do we sit in this tension when Paul tells us, rejoice in the Lord? And again, I say rejoice. And there's something really significant in that because when a writer in scripture repeats themselves, it's usually because they want us to wake up to something or they're trying to emphasize a point. So you might feel like tonight that you're on a mountaintop. You might feel amazing. You might feel great. I was at like a kind of, Uh, event yesterday, leading worship, and it was an international event. Loads of people, loads of people from Africa were there. And I can tell you, they could teach us something about rejoicing even when they don't feel it. It was incredible. Like it was off the hook. The floor was shaking from people jumping. It was unbelievable. So yes, there are times when there is joy that we can experience in a room. But actually what we know is that the reality is that sometimes we're struggling. So how do we sit with that reality? Really interestingly, if we look at this word in the Greek, it's actually a root word that actually means to be favorably disposed to God's grace. Be favorably disposed to God's grace. So no matter where you're at tonight, whether you feel like you're in a mountaintop or whether you feel like you're in a valley, actually rejoicing doesn't always mean that you have to be bouncing off the walls happy as a Christian in the middle of your life. But what does it mean for you in the middle of what you're going through. It means that you are called to be favorably disposed to God's grace in your everyday. That means at the end of your day, even if you're just holding on by a thread, that you are called to look back and see those moments of grace that God has lavished on you and poured out in your life. That's how we rejoice in the Lord always. We look for these incredible moments of grace that God has blessed us with throughout our days and throughout our lives. Praise him even when we don't feel it. Number two, keep your eyes open for he is near. 
I love this word near in the Greek because it actually means in some translations right at the door, right at the door. I wonder how would it change your posture tonight in these spaces and places when we come to worship, but also in your everyday life of praise and worship, whatever you're bringing to God, how would it change your posture if you knew that the presence of God was easily accessible to you at all times? How would it change your posture? How would it change your posture to understand, to know that the Lord is near and he is moving? I don't know if you know this, but when Jesus died for you on the cross, and we see that incredible picture of the temple curtain being torn in two. It wasn't just metaphorical, it was also literal because prior to the death and resurrection of Jesus, the only way that you could get into the Holy of Holies was if you were a Levitical priest and you could only go in there once a year to the tangible manifest presence of God. And when Jesus died, the moment he died, the curtain in the temple was torn in two meaning that for you and I who trust in him, that we can have access to his presence all the time and come into those holy of holy moments. He is near. I had a friend at home. He was George. Uh, his name was George. And um, he was from this place called Kilkeel, which, again, I don't think you guys have this word over here. I've been testing it among the staff. But culture, do you guys have the word culture? No. Jen knows it, because she's also a Celtic person. That's totally fine. Um, but we have this word, culture, and it basically, it, George, if you're watching the stream at any point, I'm so sorry, mate, this is so bad. Um, but culture is basically like, you're like from the country, okay? So I'm going to try a bit of an accent here. But George talked like that, all right? So George talked like that, and that's what he talked like. He was from Kilkeely, from the country, all right? George was an amazing man, but he had this incredible phrase, and it kind of illustrates my point of God being near, this idea of God being near that we read about in verse 5. George said, Aaron, God is always moving. God is always speaking. It's just me who needs to learn to listen. God is always moving. God is always speaking, but it's just me who needs to learn to listen and watch. So it might sound trivial tonight, but how are your ears? How are your eyes? How are we watching what the Lord is doing, what he's saying, what he's speaking? How would it change your posture to your corporate life of praise and worship, but also your scattered life of praise and worship if you knew that God was right at the door, that he was near? Number three, we receive his peace. We receive his peace. We read this in verses six to seven in this passage. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And when I was looking at this in my study during the week, it's fascinating because this original word in the Greek comes from this root word. I'm going to try it. It looks like Irene. I'm pretty sure it's not Irene because that's totally a name. But anyway, <laughs> it comes to this word Irene, which comes from the verb Iro, which means to join together or bind together that which has been separated. So if we take that, we can literally get the picture that in God's peace, 
He is joining us together again. Maybe separating what's being divided and we become whole. And just pausing for a minute might be a difficult question to ask. But where are you at tonight? Are there, are there some people in this room that maybe you resonate with that and you feel like, yes, like I feel a bit even disjointed to myself. I don't feel like myself, a wee bit separated from my own soul. Or maybe even you feel separated from God. And we're going to have a moment in ministry in a second to respond to this. But my prayer for you guys is, would you just let the peace of God that transcends all understanding fall on you and make you whole again? Second part of those verses says, well, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I don't know about you, but in today's culture, when I have my phone in my pocket at all times, and I can have Netflix at any moment, I can have emails at any moment, I can text anybody at any moment, I can search whatever I want on the internet at any moment and get a result in seconds. I don't know about you, but in this culture that is kind of vying for your attention at all times, I think we need to guard our minds today more than we ever have. We need to guard our minds. I had this friend at home, and she used to say this fascinating phrase, and, and I love it. It's going to come up on the screen, and hopefully you can take this away with you tonight, because I love just things like this that we can take away. But she used to say, what you focus on, you will move towards. What you focus on, you will move towards. So if our minds become focused on sex, then we will become lust-filled. If we focus on money too much in our lives, then we can become greedy. If we focus on relationships and hold relationships really highly, then at times we can become codependent. But if we focus on Jesus, who do we become like? Jesus. What we focus on, we move towards. I was trying to think of an analogy for this, and every single morning... My struggle is getting my child to school without him falling off on the scooter because he tries to scoot, but he's just so fascinated at the world around him. It's like if you've ever seen Up and the dog that's like, squirrel, like that's, that's Harvey because he just is like looking all around him. I'm like, mate, look ahead of you, look ahead of you, look ahead of you, look where you're going. And it's like this massive battle to try for him not to trip over a tree stump or like other people or a car. But I spend all my time telling him, come on, focus on what's ahead of you. I wonder for some of us tonight, do we need to hear that? In the spirit of guarding our minds, what are you focused on? What we focus on, we move towards. And finally, we call out the good. This is where I've snuck in verse 8. Okay, so verse 8, which wasn't read out, says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. In our lives, if we want to become a people of his presence, more aware of his presence in our everyday lives, but also in these moments, 
the nice thing sometimes that we need to move our attitude from being one of lack, what we don't have, to one of abundance. Where is God? What is he doing in my life? Look at what he has given me. We switch our mindset to being one of lack to one of abundance. Think about such things. Change your perspective. Call out the good. I want to give you a bit of an example for that. A few years ago, um, I was kind of going through a really difficult time, um, like in ministry and church and stuff. And basically, I was overworked, I was stressed, and over time, it moved me to this posture of always complaining about what I didn't have. So being honest, being real with you, I was going home and I was saying things like, flip's sake, God, like I'm not paid enough to do this. I'm not paid enough for the amount of stuff that I'm doing. God, like I shouldn't even be doing all the stuff that I'm doing here. Constantly complaining about what I didn't have, which birthed a culture of negativity in my life that I wasn't able to see the things that God had given me. And I remember going home one day and feeling so challenged by God in one moment where he was just like, Aaron, you've forgotten what I've given you in abundance. You've forgotten what I've given you. And I did this really practical activity, and maybe you could do it tonight when you go home, just as a kind of almost gratitude journal type thing. But I wrote out this list of everything that I didn't have. What was I in lack of? And then I wrote out this list of what God had given me in abundance. And the end of that time, I had this list which was like, I can put food on a table every night where some people can't. I can have a roof over my head where some people don't have it. I have a family where people sometimes don't have it. I have a son, a child, when some people can't conceive. I have a job. I get to work in a church and build God's kingdom with other people. And those are just a few things that were on this list. But let me tell you, in full transparency, the list of abundance completely outnumbered the list that was in lack. And sometimes, if we want to get ourselves to a place where in our lives we notice more of the presence of God, we become more aware of the presence of God in our lives, we're open to his voice, watching what he's doing, watching how he's moving, that one of those keys is actually that in our lives we move our attitude from being one of lack to one of abundance. We call out the good of what he's doing among us and what he's doing in our lives. So we praise him even when he don't feel it, even when it's crap, even when it sucks. We keep our eyes open for he is near and he is moving. We receive his peace that passes all understanding, this wonderful thing that happens when we choose to enthrone Jesus, that he comes close, that he gives us his peace. And we call out the good. We move our hearts from a posture of lack to one of abundance. We stand with me and we're going to pray. If you're able, 